So go ahead and open up to Isaiah 45. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. says this, Isaiah 45, verses 2 and 3. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. And I like the New King James Version. It says this, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places. So the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, this is what I want to speak about today. And some scholars, when they would look at the Bible, they would interpret, interpret that as referring to financial wealth, uh, prosperity, or you know, just the blessings of God through money. But uh, what I believe God is calling us to claim this verse as, especially in this time, is more in a spiritual level. That it's not about money or, or physical objects, but it's about the treasures of darkness, the treasures that lie within the heart, the treasures within your heart. And what I've discovered in my life, if you don't know, I, I serve in an orphanage ministry. I've I, uh, been working at a children's home for the past four and a half years. And what I've seen is these kids, they're just covered with the dirt of this world. They're covered with just rejection with uh, just just hurt, with pain, with different sin struggles, different things. And what those things are is just dirt that the enemy has thrown on them. But when I pray for them, and I'm going to get into this in the message, God begins to reveal there's treasures underneath every child. There's treasures underneath each and every one of us. And he's wanting to reveal these things, especially in this season. So let me explain more clearly. Whenever I do discipleship, one of the things I like to do uh, with the brothers that I disciple is I'll sit down and I'll say, okay, I want you to write down your identity. I want you to write down the labels that you would give yourself and that the world would give you. What is your identity? And so they would take a sheet of paper and, and, you know, it's something that they'd never really done before. And so they would start writing down, well, you know, my name, my hometown, you know, my ethnicity, uh, I got two sisters. You know, I'm a teacher, I'm, you know, this and that and this and that. And then I would say, okay, you know, keep going. What about your character? What about your talents? And they'd be like, well, I'm an artist, Uh, I'm thoughtful, Uh, I'm a thinker, you know, things like that. And then as they would really start to think, they would get honest with themselves and start writing down what they really thought of themselves. And they would write down things like angry, uh, prideful, uh, fearful, uh, addicted, Uh, addicted to sin, an addict, things like that. And I would just watch as they would start to write down these negative traits, and I would see just their face kind of fall. But they were being honest with themselves. This is how they identify themselves. This is their identity. And the sad thing is, is for so many of us, we've been shaped by this world. And there's been moments in our lives, just very short moments, where perhaps an authority or a teacher or someone you know called you stupid or or called you ugly or or called you fat or, or called you something negative and it just stuck on you and it was something that you cared and it was just a brief moment in your entire life but words carry power words can bring forth life they can bring forth death and it's by these words oftentimes we find our identity and that's what the enemy wants he wants us to be categorized, categorized under sinful beings, under shameful beings, under rejected beings. But is that how God sees us? Were these identities given by God or by the world? 
And you, you know that nearly all these identities were given them to them by the world. It's like that dirt that's heaped up over the jewels. So you are a part of this world. This is who you are. And this is what you're about. And this is how we describe you. And this is how we see you. And it begins to cover your heart. It begins to cover the treasures of your heart. Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you in His image. God made you with His hands. It says that He is the potter, we're the clay. So if He made us in this ways, did He make us to be a part of this world, to be identified with this world? Or did He make us separate from the animals, separate from the things of this world, to be identified with Him? These are the things that I want us to really dwell on today. And so I, I would look at you know, some of my disciples, just as I would look at some of the kids at my home, and I would see that they'd be struggling with different sins or different emotions. And I would see, yeah, these things were really marking them. And if I were to describe them just you know, from what I see on the outside, this is how I probably would describe them, as, as angry or as rebellious or as just you know, a failure or, or something like that. But as I would pray, God would always whisper in my ear and he would say, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. I don't judge by the outward appearance. I judge at the heart. And what God would say is that, you know, in heaven, there's no anger. There's no fear. There's no rejection. There's no addiction to sin. And heaven is eternal. This earth is temporary. And you see, our God is not a temporary God. Our God is an eternal God. So when he looks at you, he's not seeing, oh, this temporary being that is just, oh, you know, just covered in dirt. Instead, he's seeing an eternal being, someone that he created for his purposes, for his glory. He sees the treasures within your heart. And so what I do with my disciples is I say, okay, well, now I want you to write down how God sees you. And we're going to use the scripture because the scripture is eternal. It is the word of God. So how does God see you? And we begin to write down, well, God sees me as a new creation. He sees me as redeemed, that I belong to him. He says, I belong to him. He says, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ. He says that I'm a son of God, that I'm his treasured possession, that the apple of his eye. He says in Isaiah 63 that I'm a crown in his hand. He says in Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. He says, I'm a friend of God in, in John 15. He says all these things, and as they start to write these things down, and I'm telling you, it's not a list of just 10 or 20, but, but so many, it's like a light bulb start to go on over their head. And they would think, wow, for so long I've identified myself with the world, but this is not how God sees me. This is not who God has called me to be. I want to ask you, church, do you know your identity in Christ? It is one of the first steps to freedom. It's one of the first steps to really beginning to live the life that God has called you to be. Because if you are not walking in the identity that God has given you, then how can you fulfill the calls and plans that he has for your life? But when you start to understand your identity, when you start to know who God says you are, and this is for all believers, that's when you start to have the victory. That's when you're able to start to walk in power. Now, our treasures, though, these jewels that are within us are not just these identities in Scripture. I don't want us to limit, limit ourselves to that. And so I want to tell you guys about uh, just yeah some of the kids in my home. I, I said that uh, I'd see them and, and they'd just be angry or they'd be rebellious or they'd just be just, just doing wrong. And for some of my kids, I would think, man, these kids are, are just corrupt to the core. They are just really bad kids. And I, I'm not saying that in a mean way, but if you were to meet some of these children, you would say, wow, these kids are just... 
they're, they're causing a lot of evil. And I would pray for them. And I would say, God, I see them in the natural and I see them you know, acting these ways and I just feel like there's no hope. God, you've got to help me see them as you see them because you see them in a different light. And God would begin to speak. And he would say, you know what? Where you see anger, I see a kid who is passionate, who has a warrior spirit. When I redeem that anger, you're going to see someone that is so strong for me, that is so courageous for me. And then when I look at a child that is just so fearful and insecure and depressed all the time, just a cloud over them, God would say, you know what? I see a child that is so sensitive to those around them, that is so empathetic, that will catch on to any person in need. And when I redeem them, you're going to see that come forth. And this is just the, the stuff that, that, that is going on. And, and, and it kills me. I mean, some of my kids, their past are just, just horrible. Like watching you know, their, their father you know, kill their mother and, and then you know, get arrested. And just, just like right in front of them. And then the next day, boom, they're in my home. And I watch them and I can see just how broken they are. And God would speak in my heart. You know, you see brokenness and you see despair. But when I redeem this, and I, am more, I can already see God's fingerprints on these kids, but I know when God fully redeems them, these are going to be children that are going to know the broken heart more than anyone else. They're going to know what it is to lose a loved one right in front of them. They're going to know these things, and they're going to be able to minister to the most broken people out there, far greater than anyone else. That's the redemptive power of God. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, I want you guys to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel 22. We're going to look at two different groups of people that God used in a mighty way. One in the Old Testament and one in the New. So 1 Samuel chapter 22. Go ahead and turn there. Okay. 1 Samuel 22. This is when King David, he's on the run from King Saul. And uh, he's, he's running for his life. He is distressed. He is just, he's broken. He's been betrayed. And uh, he doesn't even know where he's going. And so this is where we're reading in 1 Samuel 22 two. It says this, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men. So the Bible describes David's warriors as men in distress, in debt, and bitter in soul. Are these the type of men that you want to fight with, that you want to run for your life with? And yet later in the Bible, if you continue to read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you read about extraordinary exploits of these same men that were bitter, in debt, and in distress. And it's the same thing in the New Testament with Jesus. Who did Jesus choose as his 12 disciples? We don't know all of their professions, but we know that some of them were fishermen, which are just the, the rejects of society, the lowest class, the lowest rung. He had a tax collector. Oh, you talk about hated men. Tax collector were, were the most hated at that time. And he had a zealot. And many, many people don't know what a zealot is, but Simon the Zealot, one of his disciples, a zealot is a revolutionary. A zealot was a Jew who hated Rome and was constantly rebelling against Rome. These were the men that he had, men in distress, men who were rejects, men who were rebels, men who were just considered evil by those in that day. But you know what? Jesus didn't look at the outward appearance. He looked at the heart. And when you read in the Gospels of these disciples just making stupid mistake after stupid mistake, 
And yet Jesus continued to believe in them and to encourage them, to rebuke them, but also to love on them. And what you see in the book of Acts is you see a transformation. You see that gold come forth. You see that beauty revealed. And you know what? God used the men in 1 Samuel, these men in distress, and the men with Jesus to establish two of the greatest kingdoms known to man. One was the kingdom of Israel. They established it under King David and under King Solomon. It became one of the greatest kingdoms of that day. And the other established the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the church. Do you see who God used? He didn't use the, the, the brilliant, you know, picture-perfect, you know, the, the perfect people that, that had you know, the, the easy lives as they grew up and, and they had no troubles and they were just did everything right. No, he used those that the world would say, there's no hope with them. Why would you even spend time with them? But you see, God looks at the heart. And when God sees these, these different sons and daughters of his, these, these different people whom he has created, whom he knew in the womb, and he sees them you know, selling their body, when he sees them just doing immoral acts, and he sees them just lying on the curb, completely passed out or, or overdosed from drugs, he loves them. And he knows that they're created for so much more than this. They're not created for the temporary. They're not created for what the world tries to hold them into. They're created for the eternal. They're not created just to, to live lives where they'd, they'd even confess, yeah, I just feel like dirt. I'm not worth anything. I'm, this is my job. I'm just going to do it you know, until I die. Instead, God is saying, no, you're my treasured possession. You're the apple of my eye. You are precious and honored in my sight. That is what God says of us in Isaiah 43. You are precious and honored in my sight. And he says that not of just the, you know, the, the quote-unquote, you know, top Christian person. He says that of the lowest of low. He says that of all. That's his love. So you hear these stories. You know, I've just told you these stories of how God has redeemed these men in the Bible. And you, you've heard that, yeah, they did amazing things for God. And you've heard that, yeah, God's spoken me of, of what he's going to do for my children and the children's home. And I've already seen him begin to redeem some of my kids and really take them out of brokenness into a lot of joy and into a hunger for God. And I know it's just beginning there. But, but what about you? You know, how's this going to happen in your life? Now, uh, I'm going to give you a quote that I want you to write down. It's, I, I wish I could say it was my own quote, but uh, it's a quote that I heard from other people, and it really ministered to me. It's a good quote. Let me say it for you. You get saved when you believe in God. Okay, you get saved when you believe in God. You're changed when you realize that God believes in you. You're changed when you realize that God believes in you. I'm going to say it one more time. You get saved when you believe in God. You're changed when you realize that He believes in you. So, so many Christians that I know, you know, they profess that they love God, and I know that they do, and I can see it in their eyes and, and when they worship. But in their lives, they continue to struggle with sin, and they continue to struggle with, with the things that they struggled with before they became a Christian. And I see that defeated look in their eyes, and I see just that. You know, I, I can only get so close to God because I'm only worthy of so much. And that's what happens when you feel this dirt that's covering you. And especially when you get in the presence of people that just are shining like those jewels and they're just shining and worshiping God. And it's just like, I can't get there. You know, I, I, I got these different struggles. You know, I got just this, this depression, this insecurity. I can't get there. 
But God is saying, I believe in you. And you can do it. And it's not you doing it on your own, but it's through my power. It's through my spirit. You see, it's not in your power. It's not in your might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so many Christians in our church in New Philly, as they've begun to speak over the identities of who they are in Christ. And as people around them have begun to pray for them and speak encouraging and loving things over their lives that, that, that like cancel out the words that maybe their parents spoke over them or, or someone like an ex-boyfriend spoke over them, words of hate or, or just, just careless words that weren't even meant to hurt them but hurt them deeply. But as, as their brothers and sisters now begin to speak the words of God into their lives and as they begin to hear God's voice as well for the first time, that transformation begins because they realize, wow, God believes in me. And God loves me. He doesn't judge me. When they hear the voice of God, they don't hear this this angry, condemning voice, which they fear. But instead, they realize that, that God's their dad. He's not just their father. He's their daddy. And he loves them. And you see this transformation. You see the walls. You see just that layers of dirt that's been over them begin to crumble and begin to come off. And what I'd love to do is, is uh, and we hope to do this at some point, but... Uh, we have a church plant team that came here from Hillside. There's about 10 of us. And uh, we started this church together. And you can see there's a lot more people in this room than just the 10 of us. But for the 10 that came from, from New Philadelphia Hillside, God's done a mighty work in each and every one of our lives. And uh, there are testimonies to be shared of his goodness, of just broken, broken lives, lived in darkness, just in despair, in addiction, just in shame. And how God has just transformed us into worshipers who are free. Worshipers who are just filled with love and filled with joy. And so I wish I, I could have everyone share, but uh, I'm going to have just one today. And I'm going to have our sister Lydia come up. Lydia, could you come up right now? And uh, I asked her beforehand. I'm not calling her out and putting her on the spot. But uh, Lydia's just going to share very briefly her testimony of just where she was at before and uh, where God has taken her now. So Lydia, why don't you come on up? tall. This is a testimony that I wrote uh, beginning of this year. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start out with a couple um, statements, identity statements. Um, Okay. I am righteous. I am right. I am precious. I have been crowned with glory and honor. I am loved. I wanted to be free. Uh, Lord, I want to be free. I want to be free. Please, Lord, please. Um, Being in the grips of binge eating disorder and depression and unable to free myself from the oppression I was under, this was the prayer that I prayed for three years. God, I want to fly. I don't want to crawl through life anymore. I want to fly freely. Lord, I want to fly. I want to be free. I want to be happy. I was filled by the Holy Spirit, but the disorder and depression came back in full force. I was prayed for over and over and over again. Still, I had times when I could not get up from my bed for days. And there were many times when I felt like I was a hopeless case, that I was someone who would never be able to live in freedom, that living in misery was my destiny. I got tired of my own misery that I often contemplated about committing suicide And the only thing that kept me from following through was fear. Why couldn't I be happy? 
Even as a child, I think I was depressed. My home environment was a place of anger, violence, fear, exclusivity, and instability. I remember that I used to hate sunlight, and I would always seek out the dark corners of my house. I remember I really wanted to cry, but I never could because I felt like my sadness was nothing compared to my mother's. So I got used to separating myself from my emotions and crying alone in the bathroom, which was my haven. I grew up fearful of my dad's unpredictable temper, his physical violence, um, and his words of hatred, and burdened by my mom's sadness and suffering. A burden I felt was my responsibility to carry. Um, yeah. In my family, I hungered for attention, love, and acceptance. All I wanted was to feel safe and protected, not feeling like I was walking on eggshells every day, but truly feeling like I could rest. The things that I experienced at home shaped my identity, and at the core of who I was, I lived with a deep sense of shame. Something was wrong with me. Why else would my dad beat my mom and have affairs? Something was wrong with me. Why else would my brother who doted on me so much withdraw his love? Something was wrong with me. Why else would a man that I sincerely believed I loved and who loved me betray me? Why else would I end up with an eating disorder and depression? I was wrong, all wrong. And because I lived with such deep shame, I compensated by trying to be perfect. Perfect in how I related to people, perfect in my studies, perfect in how I related to God. I never measured up to my expectations. When I felt even the slight, slightest lack of intimacy between God and myself, I racked my brain trying to figure out what I had done wrong, and I would fervently ask for forgiveness. My relationship with God and with other people was driven by fear and insecurities, and I could not rest, not even in the presence of the Lord. Then one day God whispered to me, Lydia, I love you just the way you are. Um, it really was a whisper, but God was in it. His love, his healing, his redemption, his rest. And from this point on, God started to break bondages off of my life, one after another, eating disorder, depression, fear, shame, and perfectionism. I started to see that I'm okay, that really I'm okay, and I am not wrong, but I'm both righteous and right that I have an eternal Father who loves me beyond imagination just because He loves me, that I am not cursed but blessed, that I am a child of delight, not suffering. I felt like my healing and deliverance session was a summation of all that the Lord had been doing in my life. And as soon as I walked into the session, I felt overwhelming peace, relief, and a sense of arrival. I experienced a new way of closure. God showed me that I can find healing, love, and closure within a community of loving brothers and sisters. I always found closure and healing alone. I always cried alone. But even at the cost of risking my heart, the Lord wanted to show me the right way of going about things. He wanted me to know that love and acceptance are available, that I can be loved for who I am, not only by Him, but also by people. He wanted to show me that there will be people who cry with me, who will not think that I am shameful and untouchable, but rather who will embrace me for who I am. God is good, and I am happy. <laughs> I am righteous and right. The Lord calls me good. He calls me his beloved. There is nothing righteous, holy, or humble about believing that I am shameful and unlovable. 
There is nothing heroic about being less than what God has called me to be. I testify to the goodness of the Lord, to his faithfulness, and to the love of my brothers and sisters that has allowed me to come to the point of writing this testimony. I am free. Amen. Thank you, Lydia. I've had the privilege of, of watching Lydia transform uh, over the few years. And I want to tell you, God is just so awesome. And when I look at Lydia, I see someone that's just so strong, someone who is just so faithful. Whenever I, I notice that someone is seeming, you know, struggling or a sister, you know, just needs some encouragement, she's always the one that picks it up first. And she, she runs over and, and will counsel the sister and, and pray for them and just love on them and be a shoulder for them to lean on. And it blesses me so much that, you know, we love because God first loved us. And God has just been pouring out his love upon Lydia. And you can see it just flowing through her. And it's been happening in so many others in our church as well. And uh, God's not finished with Lydia and, and God's not finished with, with, with any of us here. And I want you to open your Bibles to Second Corinthians 3.18. We're going to get a clear picture of this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, transformation doesn't end with you professing faith in God. Transformation is something that continues to happen. That every time you look at God, you're seeing a new glimpse of Him. And as you see more of Him, He begins to reflect off of you in new ways, in greater ways. And I like the NIV version for this. It says this, that we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory. God is limitless and he lives within us. So if God is limitless, that means the treasures within us are limitless as well. So many, so many people say, oh, he's reached his potential. Okay, she's, she's doing all that she can according to her gifts and talents. But I want to tell you, when the spirit breathes life upon you, something happens that where you just break through every wall and every ceiling that the, Lord, that the world tries to put on you. The disciples, for instance, Peter and John, after they heal heal the, the cripple, they're taken before the Sanhedrin and they speak with boldness and authority. And the people of the world, the Sanhedrin, are baffled. And they say, aren't these men uneducated men? Just mere fishermen? And, and they're confused. Because you know what? According to their, their, their eyesight, according to, to their viewpoint, they, they're way over their potential. They're acting in ways that, that should not be expected of them. But I'll tell you, when God breathes upon you, he brings forth life within you that you never thought you had. He brings forth talents and strength and boldness and courage that you never believed were within you. And I'll tell you, in my life, uh, a verse really stuck out to me in college. It was Psalm 37.4, and I'm just going to say it for you. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4. And, and, you know, I would read it almost selfishly and think, okay, well... If I really, you know, delight in the Lord, he'll give me what I want. And I thought, what would that look like? You know, and I, 
thankfully, God's by God's grace, he enabled me to pray, God, you know, I want I want to receive what you have for me and I want to live a life obedient to you. And so I know that your gifts are best. And I would ask for certain things, but I would never say, God, I just want this. I just want that. Because you know what? If if I'd had my way back then, if I'd had the desires of my heart back when I was, say, 21, I would have gotten married pretty quickly. I would have uh, had an engineering job in the States with you know a decent house, a decent car, would have had kids, and I would have had a very comfortable life. Very comfortable life. And that's, you know, that's a great thing. But you know what? What I realized as I began to continue to seek the Lord was that those desires were not necessarily my desires. That the world puts, just as it puts dirt on you that tries to make you, you know, this shameful identity or this type of person, it also throws stuff on you that says, this is what you want. This is what you want. Okay? You want sex. Okay? It's all over the place. All right? You want alcohol. Okay? You want money. You want, you know, marriage. You want this, 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 this. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But what I'm saying is that God has an order and a plan for each and every one of us. And that as we obey him, what happens is just as he removes those false identities that the world puts on us and reveals the treasures in our heart, he also removes those false desires that aren't completely of him. And he begins to reveal the true desires in our heart. You see, if you had told me back when I was 21 that, hey, you know, in in like, you know, seven years, you're going to have lived in Korea for like four and a half years, serving in an orphanage, directing an orphanage ministry, leading a healing deliverance ministry, and being a pastor of a church that meets in a bar. I would have been like, what? Like, never. No, God. Just just take me now, Lord. Because, you know what? I, I never really liked kids. Uh, I, I never wanted to be a pastor. Uh, I'd been to Korea and, and I, 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 back in 2002, and I never wanted to live there. Uh, you know? I never really wanted those things. And what was funny was as I obeyed God back in 2004 and 2005, and he said, go to Korea and serve in this orphanage. I, I said, well, God, I don't have a heart for kids. And I don't really have a heart for Korea. And, and I don't really know anyone there. And I would say that and get silence. But then I, I would think, but God, you, you know what's best for me. And you love me and I love you and I love you so much that I want to do whatever you have for me and all I, will, I will obey. And you know what happened was when I came over here in obedience, that God began to give me, just, just reveal within me that I, I like children. I just hadn't had much experience with them. Praise God, I do. And uh, I, I love the children. And that God began to give me a, just an enjoyment of here in Korea and a heart for North Korea. You know, when I was 21, I didn't know where North Korea was in this world. I didn't know where Korea was. I was very much an American kid, you know, grew up in Virginia. But God began to give me a heart for the nations. And I would not trade my life for anything, for anything right now. Because I know, not only do I know I'm in God's perfect will and I'm, I'm obeying Him, but, but as I'm obeying Him and, and He's revealing these desires within me, I'm finding life within me that I never knew I had this joy just swelling up within me that that I never thought would be possible and you know what when I was younger I actually did have a desire in my heart to counsel people and to help them out because when I was in college I I had so many members of my small group they were first years and I was a fourth year or fifth year and I would counsel them and they would just have broken lives just just like Lydia's uh, you know and just the, the sadness so many and there was only so much I could do. You know, I would pray for them and, 
And I would try and encourage them. And I would, you know, cry out to God, what do I do? And God would just say, love them, just love them. And I had this deep desire, God, you know, love is good, but I really want to see these bondages broken. I, I don't believe they're, they're supposed to be living under this darkness. They're not supposed to be living under this pain. You're our healer and you love us. And God said, just be patient and keep loving them. And so I, I, you know, I kept faithful, but that desire was within me to really help them. Some of them were getting nightmares at night that were just, they were demonic. And I would pray for them. I'd pray over the room and, and nothing would happen. And, I, you know, do I not have enough faith? You know, what's going on? And I would be discouraged, but God would say, no, you know, what you did was good. And keep seeking me. And so I said, God, I don't want to come back to Virginia unless you really give me that strength to be able to not just help set them free, but to teach them how to set others free. And you know what? God answered that desire in my heart this past November. I went back home and, and I had the privilege of counseling different past small group members who had just endured all sorts of, of abuse, physical and, and sexual, and, and just, just unspeakable things that happened to them, and, and also addicted, you know, addictions to different sins, and just counseled them through it. And you know, I've shared this at the last time I, I preached, but when you see them and there's just like, oh, I feel so much lighter and that freedom. Oh my gosh, my heart was so warm. My heart was so blessed. And I want to tell you that whether you're a Christian or not, you know, whether you're Muslim or, or not, or whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, God has put these jewels within us. He's put these desires within us that sometimes we think about and we think, oh, that's just a pipe dream. Uh, you know, I'll never be able to do that. I don't have the education or I, I don't have you know, the power or the influence to do those things. But you know what? As, as you begin to encounter God, and as you begin to receive your identity in Him, and you let just our master healer, the master surgeon, just begin to remove the things that weren't of Him from your heart, you begin to realize, wow, God put that heart within me for a purpose. And God is going to use me to fight injustice. He is going to use me to build up the broken. He is going to use me to influence nations. I'm telling you, God did not create you in a glorious way for you to live just, just a basic life where you feel limited. God is a limitless God, and He has limitless plans for you. Amen? So God's going to begin to reveal these treasures within you. If you're here at this church, and especially if you get involved in the house churches, I want to encourage you. What is a house church? Uh, they're, they're basically small groups that will be meeting Wednesdays and Thursday nights. As of now, uh, once we find out people need to meet in the morning, we might do one in the morning. But uh, it's going to be more intimate and, you know, we're limited here, you know, in this bar. We have to get out of here, you know, at about 6 o'clock. Um, but at the house churches, it's a smaller group. And when you get just a people who love the Lord and a people who are just in tune with His Spirit and you just pray with each other, what you find is your heart starts to get tugged. And not just for yourself, but for others. And God begins to reveal things that you did not know. And I'm going to tell you, if you come out, God is going to re reveal things within you that you did not know before. And he's going to begin to just show how much he believes in you and how much he loves you. It's already happening here in Itaewon. When we go out in evangelism, uh, we go out in pairs during the week. And something I love to do with, with Lisa is we'll meet someone and just ask, you know, what, what are you doing in your life? And just very, you know, small talk. And uh, I, I, I hate it when people come up to me, you know, to try and get me to evangelize me. So I always feel guilty when I evangelize because it's like, oh, man. You know, now I'm the one. So I never want to come off like I have an agenda. Like, do you believe in God? You know, come to our church. You know, or something like that. Because I really feel that God's put on my heart 
to just love this area. And as we love this area, God's going to break down those strongholds and suddenly they're going to be open. And we've been seeing this. And uh, one, one Friday we went out and there was this tall guy that seemed kind of lost. So we went up, hey, you know, are, are you lost? Can we help you? And, and he seemed kind of relieved that someone was helping them. He's like, oh, I, I'm looking for a Korean restaurant. Like, well, you're in the wrong area of town, but, but uh, well, you know, we'll help you out. And, and uh, we, so we took him to a Korean restaurant, and, and um, he was just, just talking with us. And he was just kind of blessed that we were giving him some focus. And, and I didn't really see an opening, so we were just going to take him there and go. We weren't even going to try and, like, press him for all these things. Uh, but he said, hey, can you guys just sit down with me? And join me. So we're like, okay. And we sat down, and I asked them, "Well, what are you doing? You know, in your life, what's going on?" He shared, "Well, I'm traveling right now, and and God's just giving me. He's starting to give me a heart for these poor nations, and I'm about to go study uh, as an engineer in, in Germany. But I think I want to study solar power because a lot of impoverished nations need this. And the guy wasn't a Christian. You know, he was he throwing in a casual curse word here and there as, as we were talking. But but uh, something stirred in my heart as he said that. And I knew that was one of the treasures within him, that God was going to use this man to bring about just just electricity to so many needy people. And God would use this man to help bring justice in an area of injustice. And uh, I just started talking. I said, hey, I work at an orphanage. And, and, you know, Lisa here, she's doing work about North Korea, a thesis. And, and, um, you know, we talked. And I just said, hey, you know, can I pray for you? At one point, I just felt like the opening. And he said, sure. And he shoved all his, his stuff aside. And, and he was really intrigued. And I, I prayed for him. And I just spoke out those things that God was revealing to me about his heart. And just blessing the giftings that he had. And that, that desire that he had that his parents were saying, no, you know, that's not worth anything. And the world was trying to lead him in another course. But I could see God's fingerprints upon this, even though he wasn't a Christian. Now I just prayed it over him. And uh, after you know, I said amen, he was just like, Wow, you know, like I wish I had written that down, and uh, and he was just he was touched to the core of his heart because I had touched on the core of his heart, and he said, "Can I join you guys?" <laughs> so he walked with us as we went around, you know, Itaewon, and this has been something that we've been doing with other people as well. And and hey, you know, can we pray for you? And they're like, I, I don't even know why I should pray, and what should I pray for, you know? And I'll just start to say, you know. Well, we just want to bless you and pray that God reveal his desires for you and the plans that he has for you here in Korea. I believe it's not just a chance that you're out here, but that God has a specific purpose and that God has put these things in your heart. And as I just speak those truths, I'm not even prophesying, but I'm just speaking those truths into them. Wow, I never thought of it like that. And you can see their hearts beginning to open. This is what God wants to do in our church. This is what he wants to do in each and every one of you to give you just that testimony that is constantly being built up where you're not just saved, but where you are transformed in ever-increasing glory, where you begin to know who you really are in God and that your potential is limitless because Christ in you, the hope of glory, is a limitless God. And I know and I believe that, that as we are faithful in this and revealing the treasures in your heart, that freely you receive, now freely you will give. And first, you've got to receive it for yourself. First, you've got to receive that love in order to love others, that, that freedom, you know, that, that, that deliverance, that revelation. But as it comes, that desire to free others, that desire to bless others, it bubbles out. And you're going to find yourselves out on these streets. And God's anointing is going to increase so much in this place. I know it because He wouldn't put us here otherwise. That we're going to begin to pray for these prostitutes. 
and pray for these homosexuals. And as we just speak these truths in, we're not an agenda. We're not trying to convince them that Jesus is God. But we're just saying, hey, you're created for a purpose. That God has just glorious reasons for you. He has given you giftings and, and just desires within you that are a beautiful thing. And God is going to break down the walls of their heart. God is going to cut through those gates that have been blocking them from knowing that loving Savior, from knowing that loving Shepherd. And we're going to see a transformation in these streets. Amen? Amen. Let me close this in prayer. God, I just thank you, Lord, that as you look upon this church, Lord, you don't just see a bunch of random people sitting in chairs, Lord, that uh, sung some songs to you and have listened to your word, God. But no, you see a family. And you don't just see a family, you see an army. And God, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, that we're not alone in this, God. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you say that we're citizens of heaven, that we're seated with you in, in, in the heavenly realms, that we're eternal beings, Lord God. This is your word, and your word is eternal, God. And we thank you, Lord, that we are not of this world. And since we're not of this world, the laws of this world, Lord God, do not apply to us, God. And I just declare and I speak healing in this place, God, that, Lord God, we are not limited by this temporary surrounding, God. That we're not, Lord God, to live under, Lord God, these temporary labels. But, Lord God, that you have called us, Lord God, into your marvelous light. That we are royalty. That we are a priesthood, God. That we are your friends, your son and daughter, Lord. We are the bride of Christ, God. And I thank you, Lord, for this, Lord. And I just declare spiritual eyes in this place being opened. I declare our hearts being opened and the treasures within us revealed. The treasures of who we are, who you've created us to be. Not just our identity in you, but also, Lord God, the desires that you put in us. The talents, Lord God, that you've given us, Lord. Not to be covered up, Lord God, but to be revealed. To be used for your glory. And God, I declare, Lord God, that people in this room, Lord God, will, will stand before government officials. People in this room, Lord God, will go into third world countries, Lord God. God, and help the broken, Lord God. People in this room, Lord God, will raise up, Lord God, and, and Lord God, business, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord. Have the wealth of the nations, Lord God, and be able to provide for your work, Lord God, around this world. That, Lord God, you have not called us, Lord God, for just, just a simple, Lord God, life, Lord God, that where we are tucked away, Lord God, but that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, Lord God. Plans for a hope and a future. And I thank you that we are not limited, Lord God, by the past. But, Lord God, Father, our potential is limitless because we are living for eternity. So I just speak hope and faith rising up in this room, God. You are an awesome God and you live within us, Lord. So reveal, Lord God, your awesome glory through us, God. We thank you that we are the light of the world. Let our light shine, God. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.